everyone, and welcome back to Bird in the Wings. I'm your host, Kelly Strickland. Today's guest is Tim Josephs. He is the Artistic Director at the Northeast Wisconsin Dance Organization. He's also a ballet uh, instructor on faculty in the Department of Theater and Dance here at UW-Green Bay, where the Widener Center is located. Um, and I have gotten to know Tim just a little bit better over the last few months as we have started working on plans um, for the Northeast Wisconsin Dance Organization's production of Nutcracker to move to the Widener Center um, and have the Widener Philharmonic play live orchestral music, which is incredibly exciting. Um, it really just brings kind of a, a lush and um, a richer experience to what was already an excellent Green Bay holiday tradition. So I, I invited Tim to come in and talk to me a little bit, as we do on, on Bird in the Wings, about, um, about his artistic process, about his, his backstory. Um, he's an interesting guy, and... I've spoken to some artists on this podcast who display kind of a, a singular vision and focus on a particular form and really mastering that form. While Tim is a highly accomplished uh, choreographer and, and has had a long career in dance, he also has this really rich life as a, as a painter, as a visual artist. And it was interesting to hear him talk about how there are really no kind of lines between his artistic pursuits. That is, they all seem um, of a piece. I commented during our conversation that he seems driven, um, yes, by a compulsion to express, which I think comes up a lot on this podcast um, but also just he, he strikes me as sort of a seeker um, pursuing his curiosities. And uh, and that is just, I think, such a, a beautiful uh, way of moving through life, especially in artistic life. And I, I think I have a lot of, I, um, I envy folks who are able to kind of maintain that pure sense of curiosity and don't let themselves get maybe distracted by predetermined outcomes. Um, it's, as you will hear, led to a really interesting life. So here it comes. This is my conversation with Tim Josephs, Artistic Director of Northeast Wisconsin Dance Organization and choreographer for... Uh, the Nutcracker that will be coming to the Widener Center and presented with the Widener Philharmonic. So one of the things that we love to talk about on this podcast, and I think what um, I joke all the time that I started this podcast to make friends. <laughs> um, but the, but kind of the the central question is around talking to creatives and artists who live in the region and make their work here. And I um, how place impacts 
creative work is something that is it's just interesting to me. Um, and I think, you know, historically we have had an ecosystem where people had to go to major urban centers um, to, to earn a living through their craft. Um, and then there were, you know, people who didn't live in those urban centers and combine, often combined education with their craft. And the thinking about um, artistic process, creative gratification, all of the things that kind of attract you to the arts in the first place, how you stay connected if you um, find fulfillment and in enjoyment um, in, in all forms, or if you find different fulfillment and gratification. Um, I had this wonderful conversation with, with Jim Rivett a few summers ago, and he was talking about how, you know, the work that he did with Chrome had a certain gratification that there was artistic satisfaction in working with a client where you were meeting a client's expectations, but then he also had art that he made that was really just for him. It was not intended for anyone. So that's kind of the overarching conversation. And then I ask a little bit about like biographical background and things like that. Okay. Okay. I'll answer your question. All right. <laughs> I'm not used to talking about myself. <laughs> I'll do my best. That makes you a perfect interview. <laughs> the rare find. Um, so are you originally from the area? I grew up in Appleton. You did. And then I uh, went to school at UWGB and then moved on to North Carolina School for the Arts where I studied ballet. A very prestigious and from school. From there, I went to uh, Holland to study, and then I ended up coming back here, and um, and have been here ever since. What took you to Holland? Uh, I've always sort of my career has been between the visual arts and performing arts, and uh, my undergraduate degree is in philosophy and in visual arts, and so um, I uh, wanted to study painting, um, um, study the paintings of Rembrandt and Vermeer. And um, so I figured what better way to do that than to go and live near the museums that house so many of these works. And so I would um, would go to the museums during the day and come to my little apartment or my little room, I should say, at night and, and paint through the night. And, um, and then I did go to school there, though, too. For I, I was there for a total of three years. And one of the years I did go to a, a, a school and studied art there. Do you still have those paintings, any of those paintings? Um, some of them, I disown a lot of my old work. <laughs> There's a few pieces I'm, 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 I'm happy with through yeah. the years. Um, but, um, I do, I do have some things around. Um, and, uh, I've changed a lot though, in terms of the visual and painting and that with, uh, back then I, you know, like Rembrandt and Vermeer and my paintings tended to be sort of in that vein. Mm. Um, and, uh. No, it's much different. Yeah. So you were, I mean, as all young artists, I think as they're finding their own voice, there is there is value in, in trying to master a certain style that moves you or inspires you. Um, and then over time, as you have life experiences and form your own opinions and thoughts about the world, it, it kind of informs what's, what scratches that that itch. Do you, so are any of those paintings, I'm so curious because I, I'm not a visual artist. I actually started my, my COVID hobby that I took up was drawing. I started awesome. taking <laughs> um, online drawing classes, but do you, um, those paintings specifically, I'm just curious. I mean, are they hung in your home? Do you? I did a lot of self-portraits. Oh. 
Wow. Like Rembrandt did. Uh-huh. And um, so my mother always got those. And so they would immediately go to her basement where all my artwork was. And um, when she passed away, I, again, picked it all up. And it's sitting around my studio somewhere. Most of it just stacked up somewhere. Ah, okay. there, are, there are a few little pieces that I still have hanging up um, that I painted back yeah. in, in that time. Um, if you come by to, to see rehearsal of the back part of the studio is an art gallery, actually. And so you can see my work that I'm working on now and other stuff that's back there. Tim, I had no idea how interesting. So can you think back as, you know, a kid in Appleton a few decades ago? Mm -hmm. um, Many decades. (laughs) Can you think about, you know, what what were the influences that even led you to understand that you had – an interest, a talent in self-expression in this way? I really don't know. Um, I, as a young um, student, you know, sixth grader, fifth grader, and so on, I wrote a lot of plays and and um, always got the starring role in the play, too. <laughs> and, uh, um, and I wrote a lot of poetry. And um, I don't know why I did or what led me to that. I, I don't. I never thought of myself as being artistically inclined as a child. Um, I had a few bad instances or moments with some teachers with respect to those two things that I pretty much washed my hands of all the creative arts um, and just stayed with sports, which was the biggest part of my past. Uh, my, my, my youth basically is playing baseball, soccer, and gymnastics, that sort of thing. And so I didn't really come back to the arts until I was in college. I started as a physics major and quickly turned to a philosophy major. And then um, I was um, curious because there was a, my favorite class I ever had was called philosophy of art. And I was wondering why all these guys are sitting around talking about art. You know, what do they really know about it? That <laughs> 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 they're just you know talking about what an artist is thinking and feeling. So I figured I better take an art class. And um, there were some fantastic art teachers here at UWG back in the uh, '70s and uh, early '70s, and uh, I took a painting class, and that was it. I mean, I knew. Um, I had to make things. Um, and uh, That so, compulsion. Yeah. Like you had a, a compulsion yeah, to I, create. I, I knew by then already after about two years of I wasn't going to be a great philosopher. <laughs> and so, um, so I was very fortunate to find, you know, something that I really loved, and that was painting. And, um, and uh, that eventually led to dance, too. So, I... I felt just like a little flash of fury, like spark up hearing about those elementary school teachers that that didn't have the ability to kind of appreciate or cultivate a love of, of the arts in you. I, and I think about, and not that there's nothing wrong with sports. Um, I think, you know, my mother probably would have been much happier through my middle school, high school years if I did have any athletic ability because it just made more sense to her than what I was doing. <laughs> you know, she's highly supportive and always has been of my career. But, um, but you know, that's a path that I think makes, it just makes more sense to people. It feels more accessible. Everyone sort of identifies the values and says like teamwork, you know, physical wellness is good, all of these things. Um, but when I think about kids who demonstrate and uh, an interest and a, an appetite for creative expression that doesn't find that support in schools. It's always really heartbreaking to me. 
Yeah, it was, it was sad in a way. I mean, the, the thing, the one with poetry was I um, wrote this poem, and it was one of the class assignments for English class, and I I remember going to the library in downtown Appleton and studying and working on it, and um, and uh, the teacher sent it off to all these competitions and so on, and, and um, all, all was fine, and then next assignment, or half a year later or whatever, uh, I wrote another poem, and um, it was really bad. It was so bad that she said she accused me of plagiarizing the first one, which wasn't the case. <laughs> I didn't plagiarize it, but it just it it you know it just sort of squashed the desire to do it. So oh, that's a slightly different story. That's so interesting. So she actually was supportive of of the for, talent that she saw, sure. but then. But um, and as an artist, I know I've made some bad art along the way. It's impossible <laughs> it if you're making art. Yeah, there's there's no way you've avoided and ever it, making bad. But, um, I try to keep that in mind as you know when I work with um, with children. Yeah. So I'm careful, you know, how you criticize them and and so on. And and again, in teaching ballet, that's an integral part of it all is um, is critiquing the dancer. And but it's important how you do it. I think. You're, the path that you describe is a real, I mean, it's it's renaissance, a renaissance kind of curiosity, you know, that you would en encounter something that engaged you and then had this kind of inner curiosity that then, you know, drove you to take the art class, right? You know, I'm, I, I find this interesting and engaging, but I want to understand it more fully. So I'll, I'll explore this this aspect of it. Is that, have you always been that way? I don't know. I, you know, with sports too, I guess I, I, you know, went from one thing to another and enjoy them all fully. Um, yeah. And um, um, so I've been curious, yeah, I'd have to say. So I'm, I'm glad that I wasn't set on something at age, you know, five and that's all I did. And even going to college, like I said, I started as a physics major and and um, quickly changed to philosophy, and that turned into visual arts, and that turned into dance. Yeah. It's interesting because some of the folks that I've spoken to on the podcast, not all, certainly, but but some describe a path that is maybe what you're alluding to, you know, setting on something when you're five, but that really kind of focused, driven. We often associate it with classical musicians, I think, the, the kind of just laser-like focus and that discipline to sit in a practice room for six hours a day and and honing the craft that way but there's you know there's another kind of um there's another path to art that is not quite so discipline specific that really is just about the the mode of expression and and no particular mode feeling better or more important or you, you know that, that that there's something um really freeing in the way you have given yourself permission to explore all of these art forms well i'm, I'm not sure what to say to that <laughs> <laughs> um, i certainly even like with the visual arts i mean i painting is what i oil, oil painting is what i enjoy the most but um, a wonderful sculpture teacher here at UWGB and did a lot of bronze work. Um, ended up actually doing my graduate work as a printmaker and, and, and enjoyed etching, you know. Um, I don't do either of those anymore because I don't have the opportunity to with a, um, you know, foundry or a, or a printing press. But, um, um, but so, yeah, I've, even in the visual arts, I've moved around a lot. I stayed away from 
two things that I like and collect, and one is ceramics, because I knew I would get overwhelmed by it and carried away by it. What did, how do you mean that? I would, it would, I would do too much of it <laughs> instead of painting or something. And the same with, uh, with watercolors. I, I um, had a class in watercolors and I enjoyed it, but um, it was, I stayed away because I knew I would, I, I wanted to do bronze. I wanted to do painting. I wanted to do printmaking. So you, you have actually set some kind of, oh, yeah. some limitations on where you focus your, your energy, even, even though you are clearly a multidisciplinary artist. Yeah. Um, it's led to a great ceramics collection. I've got a wonderful yeah. collection of art. So you just focus your appreciation and love of it in a different way, which yeah, is... I buy it. Yeah, I buy it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, can we can we talk about, you know, what uh, when you decided to come back to, to Northeast Wisconsin and, and how... Um, Northeast Wisconsin Dance Organization came to be. What was that period of time when you were trying to sort of um, find the path for yourself here as opposed to living the life of Rembrandt in Holland? <laughs> <laughs> well, those are two really different questions of why I came back and, and the one about the Northeast Wisconsin Dance Organization. Um, I came back from Holland. The last time I was there was in uh, 1980. I came back here to um, study with the sculpture teacher here. Um, Tom Tosh, um, brilliant sculptor and teacher, and uh, um, and I had when I lived in Holland, I um, continued to dance when I was there, and I uh, lived next to uh, um, where a very famous company there worked in the Netherlands Dance Theater, and I watched the rehearsals and every performance they had, and and even though I had moved away from dance when I went to Holland, I was falling back into it pretty quickly, um, and then when I returned in 1981. Um, uh, I um, um, danced here for the, um, I was in some performances here from the dance teacher that was here at the time. Her name was Princess Morris. And um, and started, um, I did my first choreography at that point. It was 1981, I think. It was the dance concert that they had that year, or maybe 82. And um, I did two pieces, um, two pas de deux, and, uh, um, and realized that, I like that <laughs> a lot more than I like even painting. Um, it was some, making something and uh, uh, the whole dynamics that go into making a dance um, was something that really appealed to me. And um, so from there, I, uh, um, well, that's a different story though. Um, going back to the Northeast Wisconsin Dance Organization, the way that came about was that was actually a, um, a, a community, a nonprofit organization that was formed in 1973 by a group of parents of children who danced with um, the uh, Makarov School of Ballet in Appleton and the university students who danced with Nikolai Makarov, who was the dance teacher out here in 1973. And the first production actually at the University Theater was a production of a ballet called Pandora, which was a joint Northeast Wisconsin Dance Organization and UWGB production. Um, and uh, and so, um, and that was my first performance too. I had uh, um, was on my way after that to North Carolina, but I'd been studied with Makaros, and um, and so uh, um, that was the beginning of the Northeast Wisconsin Dance Organization. So I I actually I know this is my bad for not having done sufficient research ahead of this conversation. In my mind, I guess I always thought you were like the founding artistic director of oh, Nudo, no, not at but all. it but it, it pre not only did it pre exist your involvement, but it was your 
first public performance as a dancer. Is that the case? (laughs) It was. Um, And um, somewhere, somebody sent a picture to me not too long ago. Um, It was a little kind of a review and a photograph um, of the Press Gazette that had covered it. And and, um, and I had never seen it before, but it... That reminded me of yeah, the opening and the, the theater there. And actually, the, um, that's when the dance the, uh, studio opened up to that year. Um, before that, my first dance class was actually, uh, I think it's called the Garden Cafe now. It's way down the hallway. And, um, and it used to have purple, I think it was purple shag carpet. You know, this thick Oh, on like campus that. over yeah. in the tunnels. Yes. I know what you're talking about. That's where the first dance studio was. And so oh. our the first class of first dance classes that I took with Nick McCarra were on shag carpet in, <laughs> in the garden cafeteria. It's <laughs> um, a make and do. And then the <laughs> studio opened up that year. And, um, and, so, and But that was the beginning of Nudo. And um, do you want me to go on with the history of Nudo? Of yeah, we, sure. Okay, well, that was the, the start of it. It was, um, it was a Again, a group of parents formed a nonprofit organization to help support um, the mission of providing, you know, professionally produced ballets and that sort of thing. Then um, it sort of sat dormant for a number of years um, uh, through the um, the eighties, early eighties, and um, in um, in nineteen eighty six, a group of us formed a company called Wisconsin Ballet Theater, with a mission to turn it into a professional company. And by the fourth year, uh, we indeed did have a you know a twelve professional dancers that um, were um, were here um, seven months out of the year, mm-hmm. and um, and I got a call one day about the organization. That, that, um, this was again a separate Wisconsin Ballet Theater it was a different nonprofit, but somebody had said we've still got the paperwork for the Northeast Wisconsin Dance Organization. Would you? like to take it over. So our organization did, and we actually used it sort of like as a guild for Wisconsin Ballet Theater. Mm-hmm. And then the company itself folded in 1992. And, but um, we kept the Northeast Wisconsin Dance Organization active and eventually turned it into a uh, performing you know, organization again, where our, we had our first um, um, Concerts in the '90s were at the uh, East Depier or West Depier High School. Mm-hmm. Um, no, yeah, West Depier High School, and uh, and we started off by doing a production of a ballet called Clara's Mirror. It was sort of um, a take on um, on the Nutcracker, uh, where um, Clara was a uh, hundred years old, and sort of these were her memories and and you know and dreams of uh, her past, and so it was kind of a uh, sometimes silly um, recollection of the Nutcracker. Um, but we weren't in any position to stage a Nutcracker or anything like that. But mm-hmm. that was a nice little full-length ballet that we did. And then we started doing uh, two concerts a year in the mid-90s um, uh, where we would do a mixed repertoire of dances. And, uh, um, and that slowly built. We talked about trying to do a Nutcracker. There were a couple of different attempts to make one happen. Um, and... Um, Eventually, uh, with a very small board of directors, we, um, we said, well, let's first of all, let's just get the choreography out of the way for two of the big parts, the snow scene and the flower scene in, in Act Two. And so we made costumes for the snow scene. We got a grant for the costumes for the flowers, which we still have um, those costumes, um, you know, beautiful tutus that we had made down in Chicago. 
And um, so we had two big things out of the way, and then we finally made the desire, the effort to to um, go ahead and try to stage a Nutcracker, and, um, and it was quite successful. Um, it was hectic the first year for sure. We were all scrambling to get everything done, not only the choreography but the costumes and the sets and everything. And, and um, and then the next year we added an extra performance and added some more um, drops from that uh, Jeff Entwistle did for us. And from there we added actually got to a point where we were doing five performances. And um, and then we also would usually do a spring show too of a mixed rep spring show. So that's sort of what's gone on with Nudo through the years. Yeah, boy, that's really. Um, I mean. I guess much much like your approach to learning new disciplines or you know ex exploring different forms, it's such a iterative evolution. Um, do you personally take change very easily? I wonder. Like I just I'm listening to you. You know, say like this organization, then this organization, and then and then we tried this, and then we and it sounds like. You just are, you have this very kind of iterative, easygoing way about you where you just sort of meet whatever's in front of you and um, and adapt. Well, actually, I'm pretty conservative, I think. <laughs> but things happen in the art world, um, you know, just like in the room, the, you know, like this last year. I mean, with yeah. COVID and everything. Yeah. And, um, and so we have to adjust as, as best as possible. Um, I would love to have, still have that old company that we had. It was a beautiful, you know, thing for sure. Yeah. Um, but let me say things change and things evolve. And what we're doing now is fantastic. This is uh, this change of this year of moving into the Widener Center and having, you know, uh, the Philharmonic, um, you know, providing the music. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, it's exciting. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. So when when you had the Wisconsin Ballet Theater, and that was 80s, 90s, it sounded like. It was like. the um, 86 through 92. Were you um, were you dancing with the company at that point, or were you just I, choreographing? I danced, but as little as possible. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I really, I would, I didn't like having to choreograph and having to be in the ballet, too. Oh. Probably the only reason I did dance in some of the pieces was because there was never a lot of guys. Yeah. And some of the, I, my favorite thing to choreograph back then was the, the pas de deux. And, yeah. Um, um, or a couple dancing together. And, um, but I, it, I liked choreographic, put it that way. Yeah. That was my interest in it all. That's interesting that, so what did you, when you went to North Carolina, what was your in what was your focus at that point? What were you intending to study? I went to study ballet. It was ballet. Yeah. And then and the visual arts discovery, well, you'd already kind of made it, right, because of your instructors here. So you, it was already in the mix for you. And then when you finished at North Carolina, you just that was what that was what pulled you. You were drawn to the idea of pursuing the the visual arts. I decided to leave there and, and leave North Carolina, and, and I went straight from there to Holland. I see. And yeah. um, and then came back to um, North Carolina for a bit, and and then uh, moved back up here to to school, and, and then moved back to Holland, <laughs> and then moved back here. What was the experience leaving here as a as a young adult to go to to North Carolina? What was that environment like? That school has such a reputation. Oh, I'm just curious. It, well, it was it's. 
I mean, the training was phenomenal for sure. Um, and um, it was right in the thick of things at the time of what was happening. Uh, um, Balanchine's um, ballerinas, when they would retire, would go there and teach, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the faculty was incredible for sure. But there was a lot of really disturbing things about it too. Um, um, I didn't know if you've read the news about it lately, but it's in the news again. I mean, there's class action lawsuits against um, the school yeah. for um, what's happened back then in the 70s. Um, so it was, um, it was exciting to go into study that way. It was um, kind of, how do I say, um, disturbing a lot of what, what I saw. Too. Yeah. Um, um, it's interesting, these, you know, arts training grounds. I think the arts in general have been having a real um, reckoning, but maybe not like any other culture of, well, culture period is having a major reckoning right now, isn't it? But, um, you know, certainly I experienced in in theater training um, uh, personalities that derived a, a sense of power that was really at the expense of students and, and young people. And it's so... And also, I think sometimes equating this notion that the arts live slightly outside the boundaries of, you know, normie society and and uh, an attitude that, well, things are just different in the arts. And we, you know, and it's used as a crutch, I think, to sometimes um, treat people poorly, uh, abuse, all, all those kinds of, of things. Um, and it's. I think especially for artists who work with children and know how important it is to create an environment where children can thrive, also learn technique, but you know, these are, they're young people first and foremost, and foremost. like it, this, whatever happens in terms of their relationship to the art form, once they leave your school or your, you know, your rehearsal room, um, they may or may not pursue a career in the arts, but it will have had a formative effect on who they are as, as people. And I think sometimes that gets lost in, in the training and, and education of young people in the arts. It was a different world back then yeah. for sure, than it is now. Yeah, it was a very different world. And it also just reconciling that, um, that trying to reconcile talent with sometimes personal traits that are really disappointing. You know, that's a, that's a hard, um, for, for people are sort of looking up to accomplished artists. That can be a hard, hard thing to reconcile. Yeah. So do you, you spend a lot of your time training young dancers, younger dancers. Um, is the, do you feel like there's a, a hard line between the oil painting, for instance, and the um, training and choreographing um, for the company? Or in your world, do all of these things sort of inform one another? Oh, I, for sure. I, as a choreographer, I've learned a lot from the history of Western art and, um, and uh, 
so yeah, my, my choreography has definitely been influenced by by the art world. What sure. does that mean to you? Like, how does that how, how if you were like to point to a piece that you choreographed, is there a way that you could describe that to a viewer sitting next to you? Like, this is how it shows up in this piece. Well, I did a few pieces in the past um, that were based on paintings. Um, ah. Uh, there's a painting by Edvard Monk called Three Stages. I think it's called Three Stages of Women, Woman. And um, and I there's three figures in it, and I did a ballet based on that. I'm just bringing it sort of to life. So sometimes quite, quite literally as the source of inspiration. Um, I did a piece two years ago that actually um, uh, one of the young dancers from the university here performed for um, at the Weiser Center here. I remember, yeah. And, um, it was lovely. And, um, Warren Gertz had wrote a little article on it. He yep. was curious about it. And, and you know, I didn't set the piece based on looking at an Andrew Wyeth painting, but I know the painting very well and it's etched in my mind for sure. And I'm, I'm probably did have part of the composition of the painting fell into the composition of the, the piece. Totally subconscious. I mean, yeah. I didn't intend it, but, um, but I, when he pointed it out, I said, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Are, is there anything that you can think of that feels, you know, you've obviously you've lived other places. You've had to, you know, a, a, the scale of your life has been large. Is there anything that you associate about living and making your work here in Northeast Wisconsin that feels either the environment or the culture or the, you know, it could be in any number of things, um, enables you to do in a way that, um, you don't find other places or is this just home and therefore this is where you make your work? It's a hard question to answer. Um, it is home and it's where I so I'll make my work here. Um, I've seen some wonderful things come and go through the years uh, for sure. Um, um, again, in the uh, performing arts, the Wisconsin Ballet Theater it was a beautiful little company. Um, we had Pamiro Opera Company, a wonderful professional opera company. Um, and, and other um, organizations come and go through the years like that. Um, and, uh, I'm losing my train of thought here. Um, it's challenging here a lot, I think. Um, but there's good things pop up then too. I mean, um, when I was younger, there was my, my teachers here in the art um, world were, were wonderful teachers, wonderful artists. And, um, and now there's a nice young group of, of kids coming out that are, um, are pretty engaging as artists. Um, I, uh, um, I'm excited to see what, you know, how they develop, um, as they, um, you know, with what they're doing right now. I mean, there's, things are happening in a way. Um, and, uh, so, I know, so the area has been, it's been challenging, it's had its challenges for sure. I mean, it's not, Northeast Wisconsin is not, you know, big and that, how do I want to say it? This is why I hate doing things live. <laughs> um, it, it's, um, I think it's shown, I mean, there's the support for the arts in Northeast Wisconsin is not the best always um, in terms of um, per capita spending on the arts and sort of thing. But then you've got pockets of, you know, galleries like in Door County. There's tons of wonderful art. And you've got some wonderful art in Green Bay too, for sure. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a challenge sometimes, um, but it's definitely worth the fight. Yeah. Sure. Um, it, it strikes me. Um, I mean, I, I, 
I think my question was really kind of more about you specifically, like you as a creative. But uh, but your point is well taken that, you know, sometimes what when we first began this conversation, I was talking about, you know, often to make a living, you have to go to a, an urban center. That's just the reality. That's where the paid opportunity is more frequently. Um, and one of the byproducts of that tends to be deep communities of practitioners where it kind of that energy can feed on itself. And and your reference to the sustainability of of arts organizations and the sustainability of, of an artist's livelihood here, if it, fe- if it feels a little up and down or not reliable, that can make it hard for an art scene to really take root, you know, and, um, and that's certainly one of the things that um, we spend a lot of time talking about with the Bay Area Arts and Culture Alliance about, you know, I think that the powers that be in our community will often talk about like the creative economy, because that's a buzzword that you hear in the public sector as being a good thing for economic development. And uh, and my argument is always, well, uh, yes, the key to a, a vibrant creative economy, though, is not placing all of your, um, placing all of the value on things that come through our community and leave. It's about investing in the artists who are here and it's about making the community attractive for creatives to come and make their work here. That's what creates a really vibrant creative economy. Um, and I think that, uh, I sometimes have the sense that there's too much placed on art that comes from someplace else here, uh, and not enough, value and support given to work that is made here because there are a lot of talented people who live here but putting in place the sustainable system to your point about companies that come and go um and and it be feeling sort of hard to find that sustainable audience those are the things that will really create that you know the downtown vibe that everyone talks about wanting to capture and those kinds of things. But I, I, my original question, I was, I was really thinking about, um, you know, different people, I think sort of thrive in different kinds of environments. And one of the things that has struck me since I moved here and my husband, who is, is an actor, um, but, probably more like you in the way that he he can find creative expression through all kinds of disciplines. He doesn't limit himself. I tend to get hung up on like, oh, I'm not good enough to do that or, you know, but um, the space, I mean, just like the, the, the amount of space that there is here is actually quite inspiring to me. The accessibility to just be able to walk down to the bay and, you know, sit by the water in that way and in kind of a quiet environment, I find um, I actually find inspiring. Like it, it made it has made me more creative. I think um, than the difficulty of living in an environment where it's like, oh, I gotta move the car because of street cleaning, and I can't. You know, it's gonna take me three hours to go to the grocery store <laughs> and all of that. So I just wondered if if there was something about place here that you know kind of is your way in to keeping that creativity lit and um, fueled, I guess. I'm not sure I understand the question yet. <laughs> <laughs> that, 
that's okay. Uh, <laughs> really just thinking about, um, you know, if you take inspiration from everywhere, as you said earlier, that it comes to you from, from all kinds of places, it sounds like maybe you're just the kind of person, it doesn't matter where you are, your radar is always up and it's a, it always... It always comes to you, and there it's. I enjoy the Wisconsin, Northeast Wisconsin. Um, I um, I'm comfortable here with the seasons. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I said uh, the the art world is in in the area. There's been some great things that have come and gone, and there's some great things that are on their way. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've never been uncomfortable living and working here mm. um, in the arts. Uh, I would like to see more community, for sure. Um, I've seen it that come and go too, um, both in the uh, in the performing arts world and in the visual arts world. And um, it's great when um, all, all of it sort of comes together. <laughs> and um, so I've really I've not had a desire to to leave here to go and work somewhere else at all. Um, I'm not New York bound by any means. Yeah. (laughs) Um, My last question for you, Tim. Do you feel like your students inform your work or your evolution of like where where you follow your interests or um, explorations, whether it's choreography or painting? I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't. You, do you feel like your students in, inform that? Are, are they ever the source? Does teaching ever drive the creative expression? Oh, for sure. Or is it mostly the other way around? No, definitely. I mean, uh, as, as a choreographer, um, my students inspire me all the time, for sure. I mean, um, there's uh, some of the dancers I've had and that I have currently, um, it, you know, inspire the work that I'm you know, planning for the near future. Um, and hopefully they'll stay with it because, you know, they've been the inspiration, a big part of the inspiration for creating the piece. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm working on a ballet. Hopefully we can do it this spring or we're looking to do a spring concert. Um, it's for me, it'll be my most challenging piece ever. It's called the annoying ballet. It's made up of 10 different, really annoying songs. The type of song that once you hear it, if I tell you it, it'll be in your head for the next two hours. An you know? earworm? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I've spent quite a bit of time on it already. And But there's some of the dancers, not saying that they're annoying, but just the type of movement I know I'm going to do for that particular piece, um, the way that these dancers move is just perfect. And so that, yeah, they um, the dancer inspires the choreography. Yeah. Often, for sure. Okay, I said that was my last question, but now I have one more. Sure. Does choreography for you, how, what does that process look like? As I'm, as you're describing this all of a sudden, I'm realizing, I wonder, does that begin with you alone somewhere with music or? There's a couple of different ways it can happen. Like I've done a number of pieces with the Civic Symphony of the Green Bay, um, where they'll tell me the piece that they want to do and my interest in choreographing to it. And so then I've got the music, that's all set. That's sometimes the hardest part is to find the music or something. And, and then I'll, I'll work on the ideas and the concept and the composition, that sort of thing. Um, sometimes there's just, um, you know, a, a story maybe that I want to tell. Um, uh, Libretto that's already there and, and then to look for the, uh, 
the music to go with that. Um, so, so it can be both ways. The music comes first or the music comes last. Mm. Um, the, um, the ballet I was just talking about, the concept there was, um, was to work with these fun, very um, um, knowable songs, or what's the word? Um, songs that everybody would have heard already, mm -hmm. which is kind of one of the kiss of death for a choreographer. Um, you know, if you're going to take on, uh, you know, something that's really popular, like Ride of the Valkyries, and you better be set to go with it now because it's, you know, it's already etched in people's mind. And they have expectations yes, about what it's supposed exactly. to be. Yeah. And so I don't know if I can carry this, pull this one off or not, but I'm going to try. Um, but again, here is an example of there's, I've chosen the music. Um, I've got the concept of what I want to try to accomplish. There's, it, it's not, uh, sometimes, you know, there's just, uh, ballet is simply abstract. There's, you know, there's no story to it. Uh, there might be uh, references, different uh, references to different aspects of humanity, but it's just simple movement. Yeah. I, I think I made that discovery. I've referenced before, I, I was really fortunate to have a tremendous education both in sort of classic forms, but also my own aesthetic and appreciation for those forms. Um, when I worked at the Kennedy Center, because I could go see something every night for free, essentially. And so I saw more dance during that time that I worked there than I had ever seen in my life. And I think for a person who doesn't have a deep, uh, I didn't grow up going to dance. That wasn't, you know, I had a sister who was a dancer. She was I, she got good enough to be on point, whatever that means. I knew that was a big deal. Um, and she danced at the Nutcracker down at the Airy Crown Theater in Chicago, and we would go see her do that. Um, but I didn't, myself, I didn't have a deep relationship to dance. But I think I, I did figure out, um, after going to see many ballet concerts within a, you know, a short period of time, um, that the story ballet... And I, this is just personal preference, but I didn't need the story, right? I was, it, that didn't, I didn't need to be following any kind of narrative to feel engaged. It was really just the quality of the movement um, in combination with the music that was most compelling to me. And it didn't occur to me that other people felt differently, you know, they, and then talking to someone who was like, oh, no, no, I love a story. I, I like to follow a character. I like to, you know, to, to feel a through line. And, but I think that's all just people's taste. Oh, for sure. Definitely. Um, I, I've heard of people who are just totally upset when they came to a nutcracker that there were no words. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, there have to be words. <laughs> um, Maybe those people didn't just not have a deep relationship with dance. Maybe they hadn't left the house very much. Probably, yeah. <laughs> well, Tim, this was lovely. I really enjoyed getting to know a little bit more about you and um, about Nudo and uh, and your expansive work. And I can't. I I am going to um, take you up on your offer to go take a peek at the the paintings that are in the. Uh, the gallery space at, at Nudo. Definitely look forward to having you come up there. And thanks for inviting me. I've never talked this much about myself before. <laughs> <laughs> you should do it more often. You're really fascinating. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Thank you, Tim.
there you have it. That's my conversation with Tim Josephs. Another one in the books. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next month with a new episode. Bird in the Wings is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. Phoenix Studios' executive producer is Ryan Martin, and the production manager is Kate Farley. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salek. The editor for this episode is Yanzer Lim. Our graphic designer is Kimberly Vlias. And our music was written and performed by Noah Simon. If you haven't already, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platforms. You can also head over to our website at uwgb.edu slash podcasts, plural, to check out past episodes of this and all of our shows. I'm your host, Kelly Strickland. Thanks for listening.